heartbroken. Father, we pray that you may bring a healing. Those that are sick, Father, we pray that at the altar they will receive a healing. Lord, we thank you for each and every individual that is carrying a burden. Lord, we pray that at the altar they can cast all their cares for you care for them. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise in the mighty, matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have prayed and everyone say amen and amen. Well, let's go now to Romans chapter number one, verse 15. Uh, we're starting a brand new series. Why don't you lift your Bible real high? This is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's word, and my life will never be the same, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Romans chapter number 1, from verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. So as much as in me is, I am ready. Someone say, I am ready. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I'm ready to do what? To preach. And that should be your predisposition, almost everybody in here, to say, I'm ready to preach this gospel. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed. Someone say, I'm not ashamed. Man, once the gospel reaches you and you capture it in your heart, you should be able to confess this with boldness. I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation. The gospel is the finished work of the cross. The gospel is what Jesus did for you without you earning it. And here I have to say a lot of people have not heard the gospel. A lot of people have heard the list of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. They've heard what they shouldn't touch, what they shouldn't taste. What, but they have not heard the story of the gospel. What is the story of the gospel? The story of the gospel is the story of a man that came to do what you and I could not do in our own strength. And he did it for us in such a way that when we put our trust in what he did, we automatically become saved. It's called the substitutionary work of the cross. He redeemed you and I from our death state. Amen? And that's what Jesus Christ did. And that's the gospel. The word gospel is uh, described as the almost. Someone say almost. almost. It's the almost too good to be true news. It was this close to becoming fiction. Almost too good to be true. Almost fiction. For a man to come and die for the human race, that whoever puts their trust in him will be saved and receive eternal life. That is the gospel. Not for a man to come and reinforce the laws, the rules and regulations of the Old Testament because those were not given for you to even keep them. They were given for you to realize you couldn't keep them. And when you realize you couldn't keep them, you would despair and start looking for someone to save you. And then Jesus becomes relevant for you. But if you think you can do it in your own strength, guess what? You are your own savior and you don't need Jesus. But when you realize, man, I can't keep this law. So I need someone to keep the law for me. Jesus becomes relevant 
for you. Amen? So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. When you understand the truth of the gospel, it has the power to flow through you. It has the power to release an anointing that flows through you. Nothing and nothing stops the power of God quicker than a legalistic mindset. Quicker than a person who thinks that they can keep the law. And they want to earn their salvation. Sin can't even stop the power of God. Did you know that? But a legalistic mindset will stop the power of God. In fact, Jesus actually never rebuked uh, sinners the way he rebuked the legalistic Pharisees and publicans. Amen? And we hear of a story in Luke chapter number 15. After Jesus went to uh, spend some time with Zacchaeus, at his house, and these legalistic Jews came and they said, how come you spend time with sinners? And Jesus said, the Son of Man came for that which was lost. Amen? And then he went on to tell them a story of a father. We usually know it as the story of the prodigal son. But if I was to rename the title for that story, I'd call it the story of a good father. He says there was a son, a younger son, who went to his father and said, Dad, May I have the portion of my inheritance right now? And this is Jesus talking to legalistic Jews. In essence, what Jesus was saying is the young man went to his father and said, Father, you are not dying soon enough. Give me what belongs to me right now because you are not dying soon enough. And to a Jewish mindset, that's abomination. You are an outcast. You are crazy. You are not even qualified to become a Christian or to be reconciled with God. And Jesus took it, in, took it even further. He said after the man had received his inheritance, he went to a foreign land and joined himself to the citizens of that land. Now to a legalistic mind, you don't do that. As if that was enough, Jesus went on to say he spent all of his substance through riotous living. This man was sinful. <laughs> And Jesus is making a point. He says after he'd spent everything, he went and found a job to become a head boy for pigs. To look after pigs. I mean, Jesus could have said, you know, this man uh, went to find a job to look after cows, right? But he said pigs. He didn't even say sheep. He said pigs. The worst of the worst. Because he's trying to make a point. And by this time, the Pharisees, the legalistic Jews, are literally manifesting physically from just listening to this story. Not only is the abomination, he's now working, looking after pigs. It's the worst of the worst. That's the bottom of the barrel. And history says, while listening to this parable, some of them would manifest physically as if they were about to throw up, palpitating. Their heart levels went high because they just couldn't stand hearing this story anymore of such a wicked man. And he went on to say, not only did he look after pigs, he thought within himself that, man, I wish I could eat the same food that these pigs are eating. And the Pharisees are listening to this. And it was at that moment that the son said within himself, hey, even the servants in my father's house live better than this. What got him to realize that he needed to be at a place of repentance it was not the judgment of the father. 
It was not the strictness of the Father. The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It is when men realize how good God is that they want to be reconciled with Him. You know, the day that we left uh, to go to America, there was a massacre in Las Vegas. Someone just pulled up a gun and started shooting people. And it's amazing how in the Christian circles, people were saying, no, this is God's judgment that has fallen over America. And a few days later, there were storms in Durban. And it's amazing how in Christian circles, they were saying, man, this is God's judgment over Durban. Man, if God wanted to judge a city, he probably wouldn't start with Durban. If you are looking for a sinful city, Durban will probably not make top ten. <laughs> Amen? It's not God. It's got nothing to do with God. And the insurance people have the audacity to classify it as acts of God. No, they're not acts of God. Amen? God is good and he is good all the time. And once you catch that revelation, you will begin to win all the battles in your life. So the man, as he was thinking, tracking back, going back to the father and thinking about this business deal, I'm going to go to my father and say, Dad, I don't have to be your son anymore. You know, I can be, you know, one of your hired servants. The Bible says the father saw him afar off. For the father to see him afar off, you know what that means? It means the father had to be scoping the horizon every single day in anticipation for the return of his son. And the father, the Bible says, ran out towards his son. Now, to a Jewish legalistic mindset, that's a, a dishonorable thing for you to do. But Jesus is preaching and is giving them a revelation on the goodness of God. And is bringing them to realize how good God is. Because all along, they'd been exposed to a false doctrine that taught of how evil, how strict, how a judge God is. And the father went out, hugged him, and kissed him. That's what it says in the English language. But in the Greek rendition, it says, repeatedly kissed him. And he said these words, my son was dead, and now he's come alive. Remember, this man is still smelling like pig food. Still smelling like pigs. He didn't even wait for him to take a shower. Get your act together, and then maybe I will bless you. And if you come with that mindset, guess what? You'll keep blocking the blessing of the Lord over your life. God wants to bless you right where you are. He does not want you to remain in sin, but he wants to bless you right where you are. You don't have to earn it. It's called grace. It's unearned, unmerited favor. Hallelujah. Instantly, he said, get some expensive clothes and put it on him. He didn't take him in and say, you know what? We're going to put you on a three-month probation to see if you have your act together. And then maybe you can be one of the hired servants. No, he said put expensive clothes on him, put his ring back on his finger. In other words, instantly restored him to sonship. He said not only that, put sandals and bring him into the house, into the throne room of grace to obtain help in times of need. And he said, now let's throw a party. And the older son, he was the legalistic one. He went to the servants, because that's all he could relate with. He said, what's going on in that house? Well, dude, you have the right to walk into that house and ask what's going on. Because guess what? You are the son. But the Bible says, as an heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing 
from a servant. So until you grow in your understanding of the gospel, in your understanding of the goodness of God, in your understanding of what God wants to do through you, you will never impact or take advantage of the things that God has given you freely by grace. Hallelujah. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, therein what? Therein the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let us go now to Mark chapter number 16, verse 15. Mark 15, verse 15. If you have it, you can say, I have it. This is Jesus speaking primarily to his disciples and ultimately to us. He said unto them, go. Someone say go. go. Notice he didn't say unto them camp. By the way, did I tell you what series this is? It's called Groundwork. Okay? We are building up to our Vision Sunday on the 29th of October. And if you want to build something huge, you have to do some groundwork. Amen? And that's what we are doing. Before we impact our city, we need to do some groundwork. Before we put the seed of the gospel in the ground, we need to do some groundwork. Amen? And that's what we're going to be doing this week and next week, ultimately building up to Vision Sunday. Amen? And this is what Jesus says. He says, go. He didn't say camp. He didn't say stay. Do you see it? The commission is to go. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. What is the gospel? The gospel is a language of unconditional love from God to us, his children. Amen? I said amen. Amen. (laughs) The gospel is a global mandate. Did you see what he said? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. God has called all of us in here to a global mandate to preach the gospel globally. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. And you can be a part of what God is doing globally. Amen. In fact, you should long, you should want to be a part of what God is doing globally. Because God is up to something in the world. You know, sometimes when you're in your little corner and you're... You know, you, you're just having church. It's easier to think, okay, this is where we need to camp. Just hold hands and, you know, sing kumbaya and have a party and so on and so forth. But when you realize what God is doing outside of these four walls, you realize, man, the gospel is a global mandate. And it's bigger than anything that you can ever comprehend. And you should long and you should want to be a part of what God is doing everywhere in the world. Amen? This is why our vision in this church is not to have one mega church. Our vision in this church is to disciple people and plant many churches. You know, I redeemed uh, a city. We went into the meeting and we were talking to the guys and they were giving us statistics. In one year, 2016, last year, they managed to train 13,000 leaders in one year. They managed to activate 53 cities in the world. Planting 423 new churches that are reaching the unchurched. That's what it's about. 
Amen? I said amen. amen. <laughs> Managed to raise 48 million U.S. dollars for all of that. How did they do that? They had a big vision that needed a big budget, and God supplied a big budget. If your vision is big enough, God will take care of it. Amen? But it has to have a global mandate. Amen? And for us here, I know when I talk about global mandates, it can be overwhelming. But we at Faith You Church have discovered through the Word a way you can be a part of what God is doing worldwide locally and God will promote you to start doing things at a higher level and that way is to become a part of a small group in your community and influence people that are immediate to you and in this church we call them life groups amen I said amen once you become a part of a life group you start giving your input you start putting your fingerprint on what God is doing globally because trust me if you come to church on a Sunday morning at about 11.30, we're going to say we walk by faith and not by sight. Bye-bye. And you're out of here. And you may not have contributed into someone's life. But if you go to a life group, you're going to share something. You're going to share your testimony. You're going to impact someone's life. You're going to receive from someone. You're going to get an opportunity to disciple someone else. And guess what? That's the global mandate that God has given to the church. Hallelujah. So here are a few things that life groups are not. As you make a decision to join one today. Life groups are number one, not. Someone say not. not. Life groups are not a social club. Man, this is key. Life groups are an extension of the local church. They are an extension of the ecclesia of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Amen? So it's not, a, it's not a social group. It's the ecclesia. It is the group of the people that God has called out to effect and change communities. Amen? Here's the second thing. Life groups are not a clique. Say that after me. Life groups are not a clique. Tell your neighbor it's not a clique. What is it, Pastor T? Let me tell you. It's a life-giving being that is the ability to grow and multiply. There's a difference. You know, a clique wants to be together until Jesus comes back. But guess what? There's no global mandate in that. It's just having a good time every week. Amen? But if it's a life-giving organization, it's a life-giving being that has the power to multiply. In fact, we used to call them cell groups because cells multiply and grow. And influence the uninfluenceable, the unchurched. Amen? Amen? The people that are not receiving, the people that have not caught on to the gospel need to hear it. And part of them hearing it is coming to your house and hearing it from you. Amen. Hallelujah! Yeah. It's going to be good today. Hunch your neighbor and say, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's some groundwork. Life groups are not an option. But a missional lifestyle for every disciple of Jesus. Notice Jesus didn't say in Mark chapter number 16 verse 15, I suggest it may be a good idea to go into all the world when you feel like it. No, he says it as an imperative, go. And next week we're going to talk about the benefits of going. 
Because the Bible says if a soldier is, is, is enlisted into the army, he does not look after his own needs. In other words, when you are a soldier in the army of the Lord, you don't have to buy your own uniform. You don't have to buy your own food. You don't even have to buy your own accommodation. It's provided for you. But guess what? You have to enlist. Because the benefits of a soldier are not given to civilians. Okay, all right, moving right along. <laughs> Why should you attend a life group and eventually lead a life group? Number one, discipleship. Let's go to Matthew 28, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 19 in the NIV, please. Therefore, G-O, go, again, make disciples of all nations. Did you see it? Again, it's an instruction. So if you are not doing this, in fact, it's called the Great Commission, it has ultimately become the Great Omission. Because people want to do everything else except that. They don't want to make disciples, they don't want to go nowhere. Pastor Z, I don't want to go anywhere. But I want to go to the States the next time you go. No. No, he says go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It starts with where you are. You have to go in your city. You have to go in your community. You have to make disciples. Notice he didn't say go and make converts. Because there is a difference. Amen. I remember I was in India a few years ago uh, for business. The city was Mumbai. And I couldn't help but notice almost every hotel entrance has a, had a big elephant. That when the people walk in, they just bow. You know. Every car, every taxi had a little elephant on the dashboard. I couldn't help but notice it everywhere. So you know, the one time I'm driving with this taxi uh, driver and I say to him, Hey, I can't help but notice this elephant. What's up with this? And he said to me, Oh man, this is my God. I said, for real? He said, yeah, this is my God. I said, the God of what? He said, the God of prosperity. I said, man, have you heard of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? He says, oh, yes, I've heard of that one too. (laughs) And I have him too. In other words, I didn't miss out on one more God. (laughs) But how many of you realize that Jesus plus something equals nothing? But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. What Jesus wants to do is for us to go and make disciples. What does that word disciple mean? It means disciplined ones, disciplined followers of the Lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just converts that claim a membership to a certain association or a certain local church. Hallelujah. He wants us to make disciplined ones, disciples. Amen. Amen. And joining a life group helps you to become a disciple. And not only that, it also gives you an opportunity to start discipling others. We have a a system in this church that can make someone who got born again yesterday disciple other people today. We've, We've made it that simple. Because this is key to what God has called us to do. To equip you to disciple others. This is not an option. 
This is not an option. This has to be a priority. Amen? I know we live in an individualistic society. That's all about me, 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 me. I can't make life good because me is tired. Me wants to sleep. Me wants to kick my shoes off and just relax. Me, me is busy. Me, 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 me. But God is calling you to a community where you can start putting life and discipleship into someone else's life. Amen? I said amen. amen. So he said, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us go now to Acts chapter number 24, chapter number 18, verse 24. Acts 18, verse 24. Uh, can I have it in the NIV, please? Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, or a learned man, with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. But watch this. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with a great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So his knowledge was limited. But he had the fire in his belly. But he needed discipleship. Watch what happens in the next verse. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. Now Priscilla and Aquila were a couple uh, who were called by God to be marketplace kingdom financiers. And they attended the church at Ephesus. And they actually had been deported from Rome. And they went back to Jerusalem and started a business to finance the kingdom. And they were doing really well financially, looking after traveling ministers and so on and so forth. So what, watch what happens with them. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their life group. Notice they didn't lift up their hands during a Sunday service and said, wait, Apollos, there are some things that you need to learn. Because that would have been chaotic. And they probably would have been kicked out by the ashes. Amen? <laughs> So they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. In fact, they invited him into the home and began to disciple him. And beyond that, watch what happened. See, there's more that happens in the home than what happens here at church. See, because here at church, Christians know how to put a front. How are you doing, brother? I'm blessed. Hallelujah. In fact, how are you doing, brother, may not even be intended. It's like that. It's the thing we do at church. I just have to greet you. But when we invite you into our home and break bread and talk to you, and I can explain things more adequately. And I can receive explanation of things more adequately. What will that do for me? Watch what happens next verse. New Living Translation. Oh, we can stay there. It's fine. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. And wrote to the disciples. They wrote to? The Not the converts. They wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So there was a connection. They wrote a recommendation, and when he arrived, he was a great help to those 
who by grace had believed. Give me the same verse in the New Living Translation, please, if you can. Same verse. Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. You know why? Because they now had a relationship with Apollos. They could write a recommendation. Man, there are some people who I do not know at all. Pastor, please, can you write me a recommendation? And if I'm going to write you an honest recommendation, you may not want it from me. Amen? Recommendation is based on relationship. Watch what happened. They wrote uh, to them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. So what does a small group do for you? What does a live group do for you? It helps you disciple others and be discipled. Amen? Number two. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 10 from verse 24 to 25. Hebrews chapter number 10 verse 24 to 25. Watch what it says. It says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. So the man is saying, man, let us consider this key element of our journey. To provoke each other to good works. To provoke each other to do the right things. To provoke each other to love. How do we do that? He tells you in verse 25. Not forsaking. Someone say not forsaking. Say it one more time. He says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Watch what he says in the NIV. Verse 25, NIV. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the what? I didn't hear that. Some of you are in the habit of missing out on these. You make it a habit just to, you know, come to church. When you, he says, man, he's, he's calling them out. He says, man, not giving up meeting together. You have to meet together. Man, if me as the pastor of the church need it, trust me, you may need it too. The assembling together of the saints. To spur each other on to love and unto good works. Because yeah. those who walk with the wise will themselves become wise. Yeah. Amen? Amen. If, you are, if you are a married person, one of the things they tell you in our marriage classes, find other marriage people to walk with. Because yeah. yeah. he who walks with those who are happily married will themselves become what? Because yeah. it flows with relationship. Amen? He says this is the habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying as Jesus Christ gets ready to return, you should even be doing it more. In fact, the church, the early church, used to meet in people's houses daily to break bread and just fellowship and, you know, learn and disciple each other. Amen? So number two, why do you become a part of a life group or lead one so you can spur each other on? cheer each other on into the right things. Amen. Into doing the right things and into love. Amen? I said amen. amen. Acts chapter number 18 verse 24. 
No, did I say Acts? Proverbs 18, verse 24 in the King James Bible. Proverbs 18, verse 24. Thank you, Jesus. Watch what it says. It says, a man, that is friends, must show himself what? I didn't hear that. In other words, for you to have friends, you must sow friendship. That one of the reasons why you need to be a part of a life group is to develop deeper relationships. Trust me, you cannot develop a deeper relationship. You know, at the end of the service, we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, you meet in the garage. How are you doing? How's work? Okay, bye-bye. You're not going to go deeper. Amen? Especially in Johannesburg, because I'm not going to hear from you until next Sunday. You do your thing, I do mine. Some of you don't even know people who live next to you because that's what we do in Joburg. We have high walls physically, but we also have high walls that are invisible that we walk around with because of the makeup of the city that we live in. And we need to tear them down. And part of you joining a life group and connecting to other believers, it is so you can go deeper with relationships, so you can sow some friendship. Amen? He who sows friendship will themselves receive friendship. Someone once came to me a few years ago uh, and said, Pastor T, you know, I'm so mad at the church. I said, why? He said, because no one visited me when I fell sick. I said, uh, did you talk to your life group's leader? Oh, no, I don't go to life group. Did you talk to people from your life group? No, I don't go to life group. Did you talk to some friends from church to let them know that you're in hospital? Oh, no, I don't have friends from church. Wait, who did you talk to? Oh, no, I thought you, you know, you should know. You, but you, listen, we're not going to assume. We can figure it out. You need to sow friendship if you're going to have friends. Amen? I said amen. amen. And this is a real practical thing. How come 10 people came to Pastor T's birthday and only two at mine? You need to start sowing friendship. Okay, all right, moving right along. Was that too real? Sometimes we need to get real. Man, it's going to be different. He who sows friendship will himself reap friends. And not only will they reap friends, they will reap family. Watch what it says. It says, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There are some people in this church who people were walking around assuming that they were sisters. You know why? Because they went to the same life group and developed a connection. And people just thought, oh, man, they must be related beyond just church. And guess what? They are related beyond just church. But it takes an effort. You have to sow friendship if you're going to make friends. Amen? And part of doing life together is to become a part of a life group. Number four, being a part of a life group helps you connect with what God is doing globally. Father, we thank you and we give you praise in the name of Jesus. And everyone say amen and amen. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We love you. God bless.